Pod. 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 Welcome back to another episode of Say Who Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Uh, you'll notice this episode's publishing a little bit later on Thursday than usual. Danny was was in the medical tent finishing up an IV bag. <laughs> they, they were they were pulling it out of him right before we jumped on the mic here. Um, but but I think he's good to go. No abdominal cramping either. I I don't. Um, I woke up on Sunday morning in the Renaissance uh, the Renaissance Hotel there in lovely Seattle, Sixth uh, and Madison, and. I had a swollen throat and I had a fierce headache. And I assume that was just because I yelled my little heart out on Saturday. It's like sometimes you got to pay the piper when you get up. And it turned out that those unfortunately were the, the first few symptoms of, of COVID. Um, I was testing negative on Sunday, uh, both before and after my flight back to New York. Um, I, I say that because I, I do feel slightly, I don't want to risk anybody else getting sick. So I, I, I want to clarify that i didn't put anybody else at risk but yeah by tuesday i tested positive and i was i was pretty sick on monday and tuesday but i I feel significantly better now you sound much better it sounds like a a pretty swift recovery or at least uh uh you're recovered now maybe it wasn't didn't feel so swift on monday and tuesday but i feel better today so um yeah it's i've i've been vaccinated i had scheduled uh my latest booster shot for tuesday That's good timing. <laughs> which which I think comes up uh, a day late and a dollar short. Like there's all sorts of getting the shots here in New York is a is a is a hassle because you have to find like there's tons of places to get them but getting appointments is I'm kicking myself cuz a week ago I was in a Walgreens and I think if I had asked them to wait to get a shot I could have done it. I didn't because I asked them to schedule an appointment and they sent me to go call a number anyway. There's too much specifics now. I tried to avoid this and I didn't and I ended up getting sick and I'm not going to say I'm not going to say it's because I got sick because the dude puked on my shoes in the stands during the third quarter of Saturday's game but I don't think that can entirely be ruled out. I don't think that could be entirely ruled out as the causation. Was that uh was that an alcohol related oh, vomit God, situation? Yes. yes. It was it, it was in tears of drunkenness um oh my I, that's no How kidding. many how many games do you do you still go to 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 football games as a, as a fan? Uh, not really. No. Yeah. So there are there are tears to drunkenness, and I say that's someone of like I'm more than six years sober at this point. So I've been hammered at games before. I've I've never been the type of the sneak alcohol in person. I've always been the had had always been the type of person who uh, viewed myself as a fuel tanker and tried to load up before I go in. Um. But the people who smuggle it in, there are three tiers. There are the the beer smugglers, who are generally an affable sort, just looking for a little bit of sustenance during the game. Might there be are the air jacket. Yeah, there are the airplane minis, which those people are getting after it. But they've taken some strategy to it. And then there's the third tier of the in stadium drinker, which is the bring in glass bottles. And and this fellow was of that third variety. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew he was trouble from the beginning and 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 sure enough third quarter he ended up he ended up uh, I didn't see it happen I just turned and looked and saw the aftermath that was standing directly to my left and had had splattered on the shoes of both myself and 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 the gentleman who was standing on the other side of him I feel like there is a fourth tier 
where which is like the like camelback slash um emptying out like the kids uh squeezy <laughs> pouches you know <laughs> and rolling in with a few of those oh good god oh that's brutal like, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ask you if the COVID was worth it because I already know you're gonna say it was, and I think I think most would would say that it was. Um, but I did before I even knew that that was the outcome for you. I, I, I wanted to start this show by just asking what what Saturday was like, and if it was like anything else that you've seen at Husky Stadium. What was your experience in the crowd? It it wasn't like any other game I've been to. Um, I've been. So I, I enrolled at Washington in the fall of 93, so I wasn't there for kind of the two landmark Husky games um, that you pointed out. There's This is the fifth that I would consider of those landmark games. Uh, the 90 game against USC where they made Todd Marinovich see purple. The 92 game against Nebraska where you still had to truck the lights in. Um, I was at the Miami game in 2000, but I was working. Um, I was a reporter in the press box, and then I was at the 2016 game against Stanford. This was unlike anything. The The length of the day, starting at game day, um, the 12.30 kickoff, the how many people stood up the entire game and yelled. It was the intensity, the quality of the game. It was It, it was incredible. And then the ending. It ended on the final play, and the suspense in that moment, I was watching the students, and the students reacted slower. This, I thought it went through, because I saw where the ball was, and I knew when it crossed kind of the plane of the goalposts, and no, none of the students reacted. So I thought it was good. And then I felt the reaction around me. And it just, it was nuts. Um, that that moment of just hugging strangers, going crazy, and the final half of that fourth quarter was so intense. Um, there were four or five do-or-die plays, it felt like. It was a wild game. You were there with three of your college roommates? Yeah, three of my college roommates, and then a, a group of other guys that are our good friends from college, but there was, there were three people, four of us in our, in our main group. When did you know that, that you were going to end up on the field? Uh, I resisted it. I was the one that was dragging my feet. (laughs) Um, part of it is, I don't think, I think it's for students. Like I really do feel that those sort of moments are, are for the students. It's also, it's a regular season game against a team that we try to pretend like we have a historical advantage against, despite the recent history. Like, we try to pretend it's not a big deal, even though it's a huge freaking deal. And then and then my friend Kyle, who works with the Alumni Association, is up in Alaska. He's like, if we don't do it, when are we going to do it? So we went down and did it. Um, so it was, it was probably three or four minutes after everybody had started to file onto the field. Like, we, we hung out there in the stands for a little bit. Um, and it was it was fun to be down there and to see how happy people were. It, it's funny what you say about the students' reaction to the field goal because I was on the sideline, um, pretty much, you know, rough, roughly around the line of scrimmage, a little further toward the goal line than the line of scrimmage on Nix's last incompletion. Uh huh. And so he rolls out and he throws incomplete. And as soon as he, as soon as I saw it was going to be incomplete, I was like, "All right, they're going to kick." So I I hustled and went um, behind the end line. 
Um, outside that goalpost, not right outside it, but you know, w- within the field of play behind the end line. And so the kick goes up, and you know, it, it, it's it, it's really hard to tell from basically any vantage point inside a football stadium whether a kick is good or not. I mean, unless yes. it's like just dead center. Um, so as you said, yeah, you look for the reaction of the fans seated right behind that goalpost. I had a vantage point where I could watch that post. And so I'm looking kind of like to, to look to see if a baseball goes inside or outside the foul pole, yep. right? I'm like, okay, am I going to see ball against the pole, which means it's no good? Am I going to see it go, you know, sneak behind the pole, which means it's good? And I saw the ball on on top of the pole, and I was like, did he miss that? I think he, I think he missed, and, and it was. You're right. It, it was like everybody – it was so close that everybody was waiting for that official signal, even the students behind – right behind it because it – you know, that, that, that angle, okay, it looks like it's no good, but maybe it snuck inside. So, yeah, there was kind of that, uh, that moment of hesitation of everybody kind of waiting to see what the signal was. That was kind of cool. It was an unbelievable moment, like just kind of frozen in time for a second. And then – there was nothing else. It was like it was it had built to this moment of and then it was over. And then you were like, oh, my God, we won. Um, that was a wild feeling. And it, it was a hell of a game. I, I, I'm i sure it's easier for me since Washington won to to talk about how good the game was. I'm, I'm sure that if if Washington had ended up on the other end of it, I would have been complaining about things that Washington could have done to win the game. But I, I felt it was really well played by both teams. Um, I thought it was fantastic. I thought I thought Oregon was stronger on both lines of scrimmage, especially its offensive line. I thought Bo Nix played about as well. And I've been someone who's hated a lot on Bo Nix. I thought Bo Nix played a pretty impeccable game. I think he did everything that Oregon asked him to do. Washington asks more of Penix. Like, Penix has a harder job because of what he's asked to do in that offense. Mm-hmm. But... In terms of Bo Nix doing what his coaches asked of him, I I don't think I don't think you could find a quarterback that would play a better game in that game plan than Bo Nix did. He was awesome. Watching it back, I don't know. Do, do you kind of feel like the numbers on both sides maybe belie a little bit how quality of the defensive play was at, at a lot of times? Because like I, I don't think you'd say Washington tackled well. That was not no. quality, right? Like Bucky Irving slipping out of every, you know, it, it, it's to the point where, and he's just really good. That's part of it. And he's not just yeah. an outstanding running back, but he he gets the ball in space, and there's a one on one opportunity to bring him down, and the assumption is just like, nope, that's not happening. It's going to take mm-hmm. somebody else. He's going to slip that guy. He gets more yards while being tackled than a lot of running, but it kind of reminds me of Miles Gaskin that way. Now, I heard Kalen DeBoer, um, I think it was on his pregame bit that he does with, with Tony Castricone um, on the, the pregame broadcast, say that he's got, you know, Irving has a mentality that every yard matters. And uh-huh. it sounds kind of cliche, but, like, it really does line up with the way he runs. Like, okay, I'm getting tackled and I'm going down, but I can still get two yards out of this, you know. And so, like, that, I think that was um, – a concerning element for Washington's defense, but I don't know. Like I, Oregon really only hit. They only hit a couple explosive passes. Right. The the third down throw to Troy Franklin, which kind of felt like it might be the backbreaker. You know that wasn't bad coverage by Jabbar nope. Muhammad. It's a it's a one on one. It's a fifty fifty ball, and a great receiver made a great play. Um, the run defense is is an issue, but you know I 
I dug this stat up yesterday. You know Washington's one of two FBS teams that hasn't allowed a rush longer than 20 yards this year? That's interesting. Yeah. And UCLA that's really, is the other. That's really surprising. So, huh. What does that tell you about their, their run defense? It's that it's that they do actually come up and make tackles pretty well, right? That they're yeah. not dominant they're not dominant at the line of scrimmage. They're not they're not penetrating and stopping anybody because we've seen them teams have been able to run against them, but they don't they they don't give up the backbreaking guys out the gate. Like somebody eventually brings them down. That's really interesting. Like the the Arizona game was a perfect example of that, right? Where the box score does not tell you that like this Arizona team was awesome offensively, yet their success rate was over 50%. So yeah. I think Washington's like 108th nationally in rushing success rate defensively. So they're they're giving up these paper cuts. Like when, when teams run on third and one, they're getting it. When teams yes. run on first down, they're getting four yards, but yeah. they're not, they're not, gashing them they don't have the gashing runs so that's i i don't know if that's by design or if they've just that's just kind of how it's turned out but i i wonder if that's like kind of fueling this idea that maybe they're playing closer to their ideal defensively than you might assume because they are making teams kind of drive the length of the field on them i just thought thought that was kind of interesting but i did like i thought they made a handful of really impressive individual defensive plays for this game um, for sure, you know, the, like, the Meech Powell hit, and they got to Knicks a couple times. You know, they when they had him third and twelve. I mean, Zion Dupuila Fatui falls down, and then a couple of a linebacker and a DB are late reacting to chase him to the sideline. You know, that was kind of unfortunate, but they had Oregon in some disadvantageous positions a couple different times. And I, I wonder if when they go back and watch the film, they'll feel like, you know, they they did more right than wrong, but the the wrong kind of cost them. Well, they got to a point after the second fourth down stop in the third quarter where Washington's got the ball and they're they're up. Are they up 11 at that point? They up mm-hmm. nine. It's a two score game. And you're like, OK, if they go and score a touchdown, it, it's going to be really hard for Washington to come back. And at that point, I think everything had gone like you would say that Washington's defense had played really well to get them to that point. And now you turn it over to your explosive big play offense and the next two possessions, Washington just really wasn't able to do anything. And I I think, I think that's where the balance of the game turned. And if, if Washington was able to put more distance there, not even score, but just drive, I think it would have changed the game because they never forced Oregon to be in a position where Oregon had to push the ball downfield. Like they, they they never and Oregon took a couple shots. Like if you want to, if you want to say three downfield throws, if you count the last completion to Franklin on that third down play, the catch on the sideline that had to be reviewed on their the the second to last possession. But they never put Oregon in in a spot where it was like, okay, okay, you're gonna have you're gonna have to make something happen at this point. And I think that would have changed it. But Washington didn't. Washington's offense. Washington's offense went flat and two critical possessions and it put him in a really bad spot. Um, and that's a credit to Oregon. I mean, Oregon never stepped outside of itself in that game. Um, even when they were down, they, they, they stayed, they, they stayed within what they were doing and continued to run the ball in a really, really physical fashion. Um, I was, I was impressed with how Oregon played. 
What a terrible call on that Franklin catch, by the way. Yeah. It's clear he's it's clearly a catch. It's clearly complete. The field judge is calling it a catch right on top of it. And then another official comes running in and they confer and they call it incomplete. And I was on the sideline at that point and I'm like, Wow, I guess did it did the ball roll out at the end? It you know, that that sure that sure looked like a catch from here. They reviewed it forever for how obvious it was that it, this clearly was a catch. It clearly was in bounds. The ball didn't move. You could tell that rewatching the TV copy, you could tell Fowler and Herb Street were, were both like kind of perplexed. Like, does that ball move? No, yeah. I don't think that moved at all. What are they? What, what were they looking at? There was nothing that you saw to indicate that that wasn't a catch. There's nothing. There is a moment when the blo- the ball is blocked. And it's possible like the ball spun in his hand or did something to show that he didn't have control of it. But there was no evidence of that. And it made it really weird. I could, I, I thought maybe the official, because it was the official closer to the line of scrimmage that called it incomplete, right? I think so. It wasn't the official who was right on top of it. He was, it wasn't, he was it wasn't the side judge that catch. was there. So I wondered if maybe he saw something, but all I could think of was when that was if that call went against him, like they were going to really feel hosed because um, it looked like a hell of a catch. Um, that was it's always weird when you watch the games in person. I've gone back and watched the tape. The other thing I couldn't tell who got the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in the first half. It there was, was the uh, third... Elijah Jackson. Did did you see what he did? Yeah. So it was, um, and William Inge kind of indicated this on. Monday, but it was a pretty classic case of the second guy got got the flag. Um, he, he they were kind of tangled up, um, probably not nothing warranting more than like, hey, 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 break it up, you know, stop that. And then Jackson pushed, grabbed grabbed his face mask and pushed his helmet off. Oh, so okay, you can't you can't do that. <laughs> you can't knock the guy's head off. Okay, yeah, it was it okay. was warranted. It was more, it was a. Uh, <laughs> But that's another, you know, that would have been third and long. Yeah. Right? And yep. that's just another example of like, man, you just total unforced error. You can't do that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was the the watching how the two teams matched up. And that was that was the only I would consider like super chippy play that I saw in the game. I thought it was I thought it was really well played by both teams. Yeah, I thought, um, you know, Bucky Irving which credit to him this is absolutely what he should have done tried to sell uh, a late hit on the sideline there on their last possession that the the officials didn't go for yeah and i thought that was that was the one kind of like borderline ooh you know maybe um it, it was it's not often that you get a game like that that's hyped like that that is really close and it plays out the way it did and like the whole viewing audience comes away totally impressed by both teams yeah. Right. And saying, okay, those are the two best teams in the conference. Like, let's see a rematch in Vegas. And um, that that I've kind of approached every game this season, looking at it through a lens of, okay, what did Washington prove or not prove? You know, what did we learn about Washington? And I don't know that they proved anything big picture. I think that you know, if you watched this team and you watched Oregon all year, you you probably went into this game knowing that either one of those teams could win, and it wouldn't be shocking um, if they'd blown them out. Then you know maybe you start to say, okay, Washington's the prohibitive favorite. Um, Washington did not prove it's definitely the best team in the Pac-12. Um, no, no, but I think they proved that they can win a game when they don't play their best football. 
they can win yeah. a game against a really good opponent, a really good team, a, a legitimate top ten team, and that they've got they've got alligator blood, Teddy KGB from the Ringers, the, from from Rounders, when he would talk about keep hanging around, hanging around, like that was an alligator blood game, because there were a couple different points where it looked like okay, it's 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 gone, it's not going to happen. Um, I, I'll go back. I thought. Michael Penix, the the guts, the courage, the confidence that he had late in that game was unbelievable. Um, and I, so the second to last drive, the one that ended in the goal line stop, they're down in the red zone, and there's a third down play where he he overthrows Giles Jackson in the end zone, mm-hmm. and he ended up taking a two piece hit. Right the Number 50 hits him from the front. It wasn't late, like, but, but pops him and knocks him into 17 purchase and, and Penix gets up and he's, he's banged up. Like it, he, he gets helped up. He wants to bend over and they end up going for it on fourth down. I wanted him to kick the field goal because that's right in front of where our seats are. So I could see that Penix is bending over. He's having a hard time. I was like, at the very least, you call got to call a timeout. You're feeling like th- that might be a turning point in the game. You don't want a banged up quarterback that's just been hitting by a three hundred pound dude to to have it come down to whether or not he's able to shake off that hit. The f- throw he made on third down da- or on fourth down, fourth and six was unbelievable. Like it was just this this BB that he throws to Giles Jackson on this quick slant, and I, I was I was they end up getting stopped after four runs. I was amazed at how tough he was, and then the two throws on the final possession. Like that's stone cold killer stuff. I, I was, I was amazed at at what he was able to do. Yeah the the possession you're referring to where he he hits the fourth down and and he was getting he was getting hit hard and yeah and banged up. Um, I think that was the possession where it was really really close as to whether he was going to be able to start the series because they weren't done with the IV yet. Um, yeah, and they they say it's just cramping and. Penix did an interview with uh, KJR where he said it was it was cramping. He said, and I did get the wind knocked out of me on one hit. Um, it it you know watching it if you don't know any of that, which why would you? Um, it looks like oh this dude's been hitting the ribs a bunch, and I wonder about. It sounds like I mean, at least from what they're saying publicly, and everybody's kind of in line on this. It sounds like it's not there wasn't any sort of like long term. Oh, this guy just he he got hit so much that he's going to be like tender and sore going forward, and that the cramping, excuse me, which is presumably a temporary issue, was was really the main thing. So we'll see. Um, it it you you haven't watched the TV copy, I assume. I've watched most of it. The, so did you notice? I forget. And I, I again, I forget when this was, but before he he went back out for one series, he kind of went over to like an equipment cart on the side where the phone was. And there's a little syringe filled with, I assume it was like an electrolyte solution. It looked like Gatorade almost. Um, not a, not a syringe with a needle, just a, a, a syringe that you'd, you'd pop into your mouth. Um, and he w- it looked like he was setting that back down. So I, it did seem like they were, they were trying to pump fluids into him however they could. Yeah. He, the fact that he doesn't get sacked, gets a lot of times talked about as a reflection of 
Washington's offensive line. And some of that's true. Like it, it, some of it is true. A lot of it is because of how quickly he gets rid of the ball. And that requires a willingness to be able to stand in there and take hits. Like it's one of the toughest things. We talk a lot about a quarterback needing to stare down the the gun barrel or all of the other expressions that people use. He got he took some hits from big dudes and and he was able to focus. That's what on that fourth down completion of Giles Jackson showed me and that final possession showed me that he's able to focus and still perform in a way and kind of I don't know whether it's tune out or focus on his throws as opposed to how he's feeling in a way that I it's not it's not normal. It's not that is an exceptional attribute for a quarterback that is extremely valuable and he showed it. The the way he played at the end of that game showed me so much about his ability to sort of withstand and persevere in a really tough situation. And when things are not, that was not an advantageous situation for Washington. He brought him back. It was incredible. How about Giles Jackson, by the way? Um, I I saw him pregame. He's, he's suited up um, and kind of thought, okay, yeah, I, I wondered if uh, their red shirt plan included him playing against Oregon playing against USC, playing against Utah, playing against Oregon State. You know, I, I wondered if they thought, okay, well, we'll keep him to four games, but he's going to play in the four biggest games and he's going to have a role. You know, it's not just, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to be strategic about rolling him out. And he was in the game plan, obviously, but then Jalen McMillan re-aggravates his injury or, or gets hurt otherwise, and I think he played seven snaps. The, yeah. the last snap McMillan played, I went back to watch for this specifically, was the the free play shot to Odunze. Yep. Um, so he must have. I think Grubb said his knee gave out a little on him. I think it was it was no non contact because he was running a route on that play, but you, he was out of the frame um, for all of it. And then Jack, Giles Jackson ends up playing forty eight snaps. He catches their first touchdown pass. He catches that monster fourth down you know where he's diving for it he said he's still playing with like a little brace on his thumb under his glove so he's catching he's not catching the ball like 100 percent, like somebody who who has full access to all of their their fingers and thumbs he, he had a big third down conversion um that fourth down i mean they they go down and they they fail at the goal line and get stuffed so they don't score but you know that felt like one of the four or five biggest plays in the game at the time. It's so that's, I mean, it, it's kind of unbelievable for someone. He, he hasn't played since the Alamo bowl. He wasn't even able to catch a football for a couple weeks. Um, he said he just started, he ditched the nerf football maybe two or three weeks ago and, and started actually catching a ball. And you, you'd have thought that, uh, that he'd have been one of their main guys all year, by the way, he played no, no rust whatsoever. I thought that was really impressive. He also made a hell of an effort on that third down throw we were talking where Penix took the hit. It's The ball was overthrown. Uh, Giles Jackson made a hell of an effort to try and grab it. They made it so it's not that you're not going to miss J- Jalen McMillan. You, you, you are. That that was. But the way that, that Giles Jackson and Jalen Polk played, Washington had... They, they had the targets they needed in their offense. Um, they, 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 their ability made made it so their offense could still function um at 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 a pretty high level even though you had the the two possessions that didn't go the way they wanted i thought giles jackson played well um and then you lost bernard Ber- uh, jeremy bernard was was banged up at the in in the second half 
uh, as well. Like that was, it was a physical game. Um, and Washington, Washington showed a lot of toughness in a lot of ways. That was interesting too, watching the TV copy and, and Holly Rowe saying that, you know, they ran that receiver pass that Bernard threw, like that was in the package for Jalen McMillan and that they, they run that with, with McMillan all week in practice so he goes down, but they just slot Bernard in, and he makes this just like on the the, the play didn't work. It's covered, no. right? You're supposed yes. to get someone wide open on that play, and he's and not he wide just open. Fires this dart on the run to Jalen Polk. It's unbelievable. I was yelling at him to, and really, even after he threw it, I was like, "That was such a dumb decision to throw it. Like, why would you do that?" My, my thought being that the upside of that, because it's covered, is so low. Like, you shouldn't you shouldn't put the ball at risk. And then you saw the play, and you're like, "That was." absolute incredible throw like it was awesome didn't didn't jalen mcmillan have like a a contested completion earlier this year too yes so because i'm i i I am i i do not like i do not like people other than the quarterback throwing the ball into traffic like that's just a general (laughs) like do not ever throw it into traffic if you're not the quarterback and yet it's been pretty fun to watch him watch him do the things that they've done this year. Um, man, what did you what did you think about the fourth down decisions by Lanning? And I know that I'd probably have a different opinion about this if I was an Oregon fan, but I actually thought he made the right calls in in those. the The only one that I could see was the one at the end of the first half because Oregon was getting the ball in the second half that I could see saying, "Okay, we're going to take the three points and then we're going to get the ball to start the second half." But even then, I, I thought all his decisions were right. And the people that were saying that he should have punted on the fourth and three at the forty-seven, I thought are crazy. I thought that was I I thought that was a no brainer to go for it. So I definitely thought he should have kicked the field goal at the end of the half. Yeah. Getting the ball, I'm very confident if I'm Oregon in that situation, that we're just gonna keep running it down their throats. Yeah. yeah. And gonna get three here. They love going for two on touchdowns. So I'm going to get three here. We'll put up eight after halftime. We'll be up seven. Um, I, <laughs> the last one's interesting because the thought never entered my mind that they would punt. And yeah. and that was less about it being the right or wrong decision to go for it. And just knowing that this is Dan landing, this is Oregon. They're going to go for it. So I, you know, I think I do think there's an argument for punting there and it, it mostly centers around, Washington's offense had had kind of struggled. Now they'd gone, yes. they'd put together a drive. They, you know, they they were within one yard of scoring a touchdown in the yes. previous possession. So they they just put together a drive. But everybody saw Penix was banged up. Yes, um, that had their two possessions prior to that had been three and outs. Um, yes, they've got to go. Let's say. You, 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 worst case scenario on the punt is what you kick it into the end zone. So yes. they got to go 80 yards with a banged up quarterback with no timeouts. And I, I could see that being preferable to giving Michael Penix Jr. a short field with all the momentum now because you got this huge fourth down stop. Um, but yeah, I, I think Landing said after, and he said 75, which it wouldn't have been 75, it would have been 80 because a, a touchback on a punt comes out to the 20 yeah. still um but you know basically we didn't really see a huge difference at that point between 53 and, and 75 um but i don't know i i think mentally it's it's a little tougher but i yeah, yeah i look 
generally speaking, college football, you got one play to gain three yards to win a game. I feel like you should all just like watching Colorado and Stanford on Friday night. (laughs) Colorado scores first, stand in overtime. Stanford answers. What are you doing? Go for two. Don't kick it. You got you're on the road. You had this huge comeback. You got them on the you got one play to get three yards to win the game, college football. You do it. So I think it's kind of a a similar principle. I I thought it was weird that they sprinted Knicks out on all three of those. You know? Yeah. Yeah, Three three yards is like, do you want to just run it between the tackles to try to get three yards? That's a little that's a little, you know, that's kind of a tough ask, but geez, you'd been moving the pile. You know, what did you think? What did you think in real time, somewhat related to that, of the uh, this the third down stuff where Oregon got the timeout in first? So I couldn't I couldn't hear the whistle. Um, I initially was confused and thought the guy next to me thought not the one who puked on me. Uh, the guy next to me thought Washington had called the timeout, and I was I was apoplectic. And then I saw that it was Oregon that had called the timeout. I didn't hear it. Um, but I was less furious when I found out it wasn't Washington that called the timeout. So my real time <laughs> reaction was somewhat skewed. Um, I, I didn't hear the timeout. Um, I thought the play, I, I hate those things when the play, if nobody on the field hears the timeout, I kind of feel like the timeout shouldn't be, shouldn't count. I know that that's whatever, but that was, that was backbreaking. And then to have the throw, following that because that was when the the sideline throw to franklin happened it was just a gut punch um but yeah yeah, that was that was pretty crazy like it looked like that was it really looked like that was the game at that point um and then and then washington stiffened man um they made they made big plays like they the if they're five or six biggest plays of that game uh washington washington got three or four of them and that was that really was the difference that those three fourth down stops, um, and yeah, Oregon got a fourth down stop and uh, and kept them out of the end zone. But it was Washington's plays in those high leverage moments that 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 did end up deciding the game. So that was third and four from Oregon's twenty one yard line, and even yeah. then, I I think I turned to the person I was standing next to on the sideline and was like, if they don't get this, you think they go for it? <laughs> so that's like that's where my I, I was just I, I'm I'm so certain that that Oregon and, and Dan Lanning are gonna gonna side on the you know they're gonna take the side of being aggressive. Washington did that last year at Arizona State. Remember they had a fourth yes. and one from their own thirty, their own twenty nine, and and didn't get it. Um, it's it's different when it's fourth and one, right? Like fourth and one feels like that should be an eighty five or ninety percent conversion rate. And I, I think I'm even being conservative there. It is different when it's when it's three yards, which all, all all three of Oregon's fourth down attempts were fourth and three. But I'm not convinced. Like if you said that at, in that third and four play, they get stuffed, and if it's if it's fourth and two from their own twenty three, I'm not convinced that it's the wrong call to go for it because at that point you're looking at okay, if we turn the ball over to them and they're going to have to score a touchdown. And if they score the touchdown, we're then going to have a chance to answer it. And that was one of the things that I thought the rationale against punting it was, which was if Oregon, they're at the Washington 47, if they punt and say gain, they're going to gain between, I think you could estimate between 27 and 37 yards of field position. That actually might end up just giving them 
more time to drain off the clock and leave you with less time if they do score. Like, I thought there was some element of that. And it's a little different in college because teams don't try to manipulate the clock as much for good reason. Like, Washington needed a touchdown. You can't sit there and hedge of like, oh, we want to score with no time left. You need to score the touchdown. But I felt that that was like a small factor mitigating against punting, which was giving them a shorter field isn't the worst thing in the world because if they do score a touchdown, it increases the likelihood we're going to have time to answer. It's a good point, and it's perfectly, especially hearing Ryan Grubb talk about it on Monday, Like it's it's perfectly um, illustrative of how similar of a, an aggressive mindset those two programs have because it's been asked of, of Grubb, you know, hey, should you you snapped it with 34 seconds on the play clock and and the clock running, you know, should you have run clock there? And both him and Penix were both like, no. You just looked out there, saw man coverage on Romo Dunze. You you run the play clock, maybe they roll a safety over there. Maybe yep. they they change their look. Maybe they realize, "Oh, we're we're leaving our backup corner on an island against maybe the best receiver in the country. Should we should we maybe address that somehow?" So it was just, <laughs> hey, you see the look, you've got it right now, snap it right now, throw the ball. So it, it's kind of the same, you know, you got, you got, you got three yards to win a game, go get the three yards. You see the, you see the coverage and look you want, forget about the clock, take the touchdown. So I, that, I think, I think yeah, these the staffs man. approach those things pretty similarly, honestly. Which I think is the right way to play the I, right way. There's no wrong way to play it. I think that's the most advantageous approach to have. Which is to say, because look, I in my like second guessing mind, I'm like, it would have been nice to run the ball a couple times or even just once to take some more time off the clock there. But dude, you don't know if you're gonna get that look again. You've got your best player in one on one coverage on the edge, and you need a touchdown to win, and you just got stuffed three straight plays inside the five. Like, take it. Don't don't sit there and wait for it. And and I do agree with with that general mindset. Um, and, and in the same, and I guess in this in the on the flip side, I would I didn't I didn't disagree with Landing's calls. I think I I think I probably would have taken the field goal at the end of the half. But that's the only that's the only one. And I was I was one hundred percent convinced it was the right call for Oregon to go for it, and not just because it didn't turn out. I thought I think that's the right way to play that situation. Yeah, I mean. Did any Washington fan see their offense go back out for that fourth down and think, oh, good, they're going for it? Yeah. No, God. You know? like No, I, I wanted them to punt it. Like, that's what I would have wanted. Give us the ball. Give our best unit. Give Washington's best unit the ball with a, with a, with a chance, to, with a chance to, to win it with a touchdown. The other thing that's understated, being down three is a somewhat difficult position. Like, it. There's times where I think being down three is a worse position to be in as an offense than being down four, which isn't really true. But the the problem is, is that you get timid, which Oregon got timid on that final possession. They never threw the ball into the end zone because you don't want to take a risk that costs, costs yourself a chance at forcing overtime. You do end up becoming more complacent and less willing to go for it. Whereas when you're down four, like if Washington is only down three instead of down four, and they get that matchup with Odunze on the, on, on the outside one-on-one with a minute, they still probably take the shot. 
because Odunze is so good and they do ask so much of their quarterback, but it does become a bit of a different calculation because you're like, if he gets picked, man, like we're in position for the field goal now. Yeah, I, I bet they still would, uh, just kind of knowing how they approached. I mean, the the first fade to Odunze, his first touchdown, I think that was a that was on third down. Yeah, I think it was like third and two, and yep. he's, they're they're firing into the end zone. Yeah, so hell yeah, they, they probably are. were going to go for it on fourth down if they didn't get it. Um, so I, you're right about the the three points versus four points because it you you operate as if you have a safety net when you're down three, yep. but it's not really a safety net nope. because your safety net is a college kicker. And <laughs> yep. Even in his oh, this guy's eighty five percent from X yards in. Well. He's still a college kicker. It's not automatic. It was a good kick. Like, he it was. It was well he struck. Didn't, he, yeah. didn't, he didn't choke that kick. No, it was, not at all. It, was a, it was a college kicker from 42 yards who missed just barely to the right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Your safety net is a college kicker. Even a good college kicker. So as far as what this means for Washington going forward, I think our, uh, I think our pal Ian McFarland has a nice segue for us. He does. And Ian has plenty of, of options, observations, uh, guidance that he can provide you if you need a, a stone-cold finisher in the way that Michael Penix was in this game. Shaking off any, any early bumps and bruises. What do you need to close? If you have those sort of questions, you can check in with ipmcfarland.com. Ian McFarland, our friend, it's worth a conversation. And, well, he's chiming in to us today from across the pond. Good morning from uh, the mother country, jolly old England. Um, Before we really dive in, just a note for Husky fans. If you're going to be a spectator at that specific UW-Oregon game, I would advise not tearing an ab muscle the day before because yelling hurts a lot. But I digress. Um, there's a, a really cool follow. I, I, somebody in the Husky sphere, and I don't follow that much of it, uh, put out on Twitter a week or two ago uh, named Kelly Ford, uh, K4, at K Ford Ratings. Um, and it's, you know, it's analytics, it's odds, it's whatever. Um, one of the cool ones is, is leverage points. So last week, uh, last week's game was the highest leverage game in the country where it was pretty clear that the winner had a huge advantage in making the Pac-12 title game to the point that now Washington has, by these ratings has an 83% chance of making that game. Um, Oregon is second, uh, with about a 50% chance and then SC, Oregon State, and Utah. My question is, who do you want? Because, yes, it's cart before the horse. Yes, it's jinxing jinxing him, deeply knocking on wood. But part of the reason we're so excited about last week's win is that that Oregon team is real, real good and real, real mean. Huskies are going to have to beat somebody twice to get through this whole thing and win the Pac-12 title. Who do you want? Have a great week, fellas. Go dogs. I think it's it's less about who you want and just what the reality is. Mm-hmm. Like if 
if this ends up being the season that you think it can and Washington wins out somehow, like if you say, oh, I'd, I'd rather see USC in the Pac-12 title game or I'd rather see Utah or I'd rather see Oregon State, um, I guess USC could still happen because they're unbeaten in conference play. Mm-hmm. But Utah and Oregon State have a, a Pac-12 loss. And yes. I don't think you want either of those teams beating Washington in this scenario. So if Washington beats both those teams, they're going to have two losses. So, in you know, as we saw last season, the two-loss team got into the Pac-12 championship game and, and won the thing, Utah. So it's not impossible. But um, I, I still think that the USC game is going to be a huge challenge. And I feel like people are kind of writing the Trojans off because of their defense, understandable, their offensive line understandable some shine came off caleb williams he threw three picks they got destroyed at notre dame i still think that's going to be a still think that's going to be a huge challenge for why i still just going into the coliseum caleb williams is not just like a not really good quarterback all of a sudden because he played one bad game um i i need to see how washington matches up with usc before i go saying oh that's the team you'd rather see in the pac-12 title game than oregon um, I also think there's an element of, of, hey, if you think you're a playoff team, if you think you're a team that can contend for a national championship, then, yeah, go go beat the other best team in the conference yes. again in the, in the conference championship game. And that, if that's the way it has to be, then, then that's the way it has to be. I think I'm curious to see, does the Pac-12 have enough clout to get two teams in the playoff if Washington and Oregon both win out and it's Oregon who wins in Vegas and they finish with one loss each to each other? That that'd be that'd be interesting. My gut says no. Yeah. I think um, while there is not that clear cut dominant, cha- you know, inevitable champion type of team in college football this year, there are several still who could run the table. Uh, so I, I think you'd be I think you'd be pressing it. But but then then it becomes who gets in. Okay, so is it does Oregon get the nod because they won in a neutral field? It would depend how that game played out too. How dominant was Oregon in their other victories? How dominant was Washington in their other victories? That would be, man, Danny, you thought the 1995 Cotton Bowl was, uh, was a dispute? <laughs> That'd be in this. This would be an all timer if that played out. Um, I tend to go with the scenario you just laid out, which is, I think Washington's a good enough team to be in the college football playoff. I think they have a quarterback that is good enough to make a difference in a way that nothing against Jake Browning as a sophomore, a true sophomore. He wasn't ready to or able to be that difference maker in that game against Alabama. I think Penix is that good a quarterback. I think he showed that in this game. I do. I wouldn't mind seeing them play Oregon again. I'm not going to have a preference of who I want them to play in the Pac-12 championship game because if if they're going to be a team that's capable of making that run, you say, like, whoever the best team comes out. Oregon and Washington are playing the same teams down the stretch. They're in different places and in a different order, but it's the same It's the same opponent's lineup. And if Washington goes undefeated, playing a schedule that includes Utah, USC, Oregon State, and Washington State, and gets there undefeated, like, whoever comes out the other side of that, whether it is a two-loss Utah team or a one-loss Oregon team, let's go i i don't i don't have a feeling i don't come away from that game being boy i don't want any part of oregon ever again because i don't think that was the best game washington's offense can play i don't think i think oregon played i think oregon's offense played about as good as it possibly can in that game 
and they were in position to win. And Washington was fortunate to get the win, but I don't think that was the best game that Washington's offense can play. And I think it's a testament to their toughness that they were able to to win it. And I'm not convinced that in the second time around, Oregon Oregon ends up coming out prevailing that time because the breaks don't go Washington's way. So I'm I'm definitely look. I might be hopped up on cold medicine at this point and riding some sort of residual high from a flyback, uh, a, a flight back. But I, it was such a good game. You tell me like a chance to watch that again and watch those two teams play the caliber and the emotional intensity that was there, the aggressiveness on both sides. Like, yeah, I'm flying there. And if a dude pukes on my shoes and I end up getting sick afterwards, fine. Um, I, I left the stadium definitely feeling like uh, Oregon, Oregon should feel like it. It really should have won this game. Yeah. You know that they, and and a lot of people have pointed out, they outgained Washington. They had more first downs. Um, and I was twice I as was, many third down conversions. Nine minutes more of field time of possession. Absolutely. Yeah, Washington did average more yards per play. They were more efficient. Um, I, I, I feel that way a little less after watching it back and kind of remembering just how many moments there were when it felt like Washington could really take control a little bit earlier, um, especially. Mm-hmm. You know, they had the ball. They took possession of the ball with an 11-point lead and yes. 18 and a half minutes left in this game. Yep. I would imagine their win percentage. I mean, if you look at, like, their their win probability chart, they were – it was, like, in the 70s toward Washington for a big chunk of this game. Um, and then, obviously, you know, tilted heavily in Oregon's favor by the time they, they had the ball on, on that second-to-last possession where they had the failed fourth down. But, you know, I – I think there were just as many moments that Washington could have looked back on if they'd lost and gone, oh, my God, we really lost a game at home with that crowd where we led by 11 points with three and a half minutes left in the third quarter. How how'd that happen? So, I, you know, I I feel a little bit less that way that like, oh, Oregon outplayed them. No, I, I think it was a very evenly played game. Uh, I think it was two really good teams and one of them won and one of them lost. Um, the The one exception to this is, you know, USC is still unbeaten in Pac-12 play, even though they've kind of been exposed. Yes. Um, that could work to Washington's advantage. If they can beat Utah this week and then beat California, they'll be 6-0 and going into their game against Washington. And Washington will be 6-0, and assuming they take care of business against, or excuse me, they'll be 5-0 and uh, if they take care of business against ASU and Stanford. If Washington goes down to Los Angeles and, and dominates USC, or they're just clearly better. You know, it's just clearly like, okay, if these teams played again, Washington would still be a, a pretty substantial favorite. Then you root for USC to win out because that would get USC into the USC can can afford a loss to Washington and win out and and control their destiny to get into the Pac twelve championship game. Because that would be their first loss to Washington. Assuming they beat Utah and they don't slip up at California. Now they've got Oregon and, and UCLA after that. They have to go to Oregon the week they play Washington. That's a huge challenge. It's a huge physical challenge, too, right, to play those two teams in back-to-back weeks. Oregon State has to do that, too. They have to play Washington and then, then finish against Oregon. But if Washington dominates USC or at least wins conven- convincingly in L.A., then I think Washington fans are rooting like crazy for USC to win their last two games and be the team that the Huskies face in the championship game. Okay, 
I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue that I want to see Oregon again, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be act. Well, no, that's not true. I am gonna be actively cheering on USC against Oregon because I just I don't think that you have to consider Washington's playoff resume at all in this. Oh, I, I yeah, I completely don't agree. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think you do at all. Like in in past years, if Washington was in the stratosphere that it's in now. You might be thinking because of strength of schedule, well, you really should just want them to play the very best, highest ranked no. team in the championship game. But I don't think that's a concern this year. Unless they if, lose a game right. somewhere. If they go maybe... unde- yeah, if they go undefeated in the conference and they win the Pac twelve championship, they're gonna be in the college playoff. I don't see a scenario where that doesn't work out. Yeah. So I think you should want the most beatable opponent at that point. Because you've already proven your your case, your strength of schedule has been very good. Selfishly, I just I want to see those teams play again. I want I'd to love see. to see those teams play again. Yeah, I, and I say, I think I think what you said in, in phrasing it that Washington was in a really really strong position, and it's they didn't fritter it away. But being up eleven, if they had lost that game, they would have looked back on those two three and out drives and like that was our chance to separate to pull away, and we just we 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 didn't execute in those spots. They were able to stare that down. Like they were able to come back from that. They lost an eleven point lead and still came back. It was it was really impressive what what they did, uh, given that and the way they did it with the quarterback, even though he was banged up. Um God. I also have I, I have the beginnings of a hot take on Lincoln Riley. Uh oh. I think that Lincoln Riley might be the reincarnation of Rick Neuheisel. A really, really proficient head coach with other people's players and you put him in charge of it you put him the more in charge of the personnel he begets gets the worse overall the program becomes specifically on defense i think we might be seeing an acceleration of that because of how he approached the transfer portal with usc but you look at how oklahoma's playing this year and that everybody thought that it was, oh man, it just collapsed without him. And it's like, eh, he might have gotten out of town one step ahead of the sheriff. And things might be coming undone a little bit at USC a little bit more. Like when this season started, I would have said like Lincoln Riley is one of the very best coaches in the country. He's still someone who very clearly understands college offense and able to get the most out of guys. I think he might be a reincarnation of Ricky Neuheisel. I think Neuheisel is a lot better on TV. New Riley. was phenomenal. So that might on be TV. the that might be the one difference. I don't know. I don't know that Lincoln Riley's got <laughs> yeah, the uh, he can't do it at a, all as magnetic of a personality. But that was clearly with Newheisel. He was better at Colorado with Gary Barnett's players, and he was better at Washington with Jim Lambright's players. And the more the more it was his recruits and his teams, the worse those programs ended up. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, he he is Lincoln Riley is responsible for Caleb Williams. Yes, so you, you give him that. Hundred percent. I'm not super familiar with Oklahoma's personnel. Like, obviously, they're they're undefeated and they're they're off to a great start this year. I know Dylan Gabriel is a, a transfer quarterback. quarterback, so that's you know that's a big piece of it. But yeah, I mean, they're not getting better. That's my thing. It's it's not just okay. What's their record going to be, and are they going to be a playoff team? Like, they look worse each week. Yes, yes. That's that's really bad. It's hilarious. Know? It's awesome. <laughs> and I don't know if that's if that's just like there was so much talk when when they fired Clay Helton about just the culture, right? Like they recruited all these four and five star guys, and why aren't any of them any good? How could this be? 
these are athletic, talented guys. And Chris Peterson talking on Fox, you know, in, in on Fox's studio show about there's a difference between talent and skill. And they have a lot of talent, but they don't have any skill. And you look at their defense, <laughs> and they've brought in all these guys who have played at a really high level <laughs> in, in, at the Power 5 level at, like, good programs who clearly are good football players. And you'll see these, like, individual flashes of, like, oh, my God, Barry Alexander is a monster on the interior D-line. And they, they got, they got uh, is it Kalen Bullock, their safety, who makes great plays. and But they, they just give up huge pass plays and and blown coverages (laughs) and you know this it's funny because you look at the score like notre dame scored 48 points but that wasn't like a defensive failure what the notre dame had 250 yards or something like that yep that's crazy caleb williams you know and i think they showed pressure him he's usually really like his numbers against the blitz are insanely good but if you get enough pressure on him consistently, he is one of these guys who you can get to make like a backbreaking mistake or two. Um, yep. I still think he's brilliant. I still think he's going to be a total headache for Washington to deal with. But for sure, there's a uh, even you know as much attention has been on the defense with USC. Like there's their offensive line hasn't played well. Nope. You put Caleb Williams consistently in bad spots. He's not going to pull the Houdini act every time. He's like most quarterbacks is when they start trying to make plays amidst chaos, you're going to have some mistakes as good as he is. That's going to happen. And that, that broke their back and he came up against a really fundamentally sound Notre Dame team. As long as they have 11 guys on the field, (laughs) (laughs) Notre Dame under Marcus Freeman continues to just be like, throw a dart at a board for who they beat and who they lose to. Oh, it's awesome. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. I like to wonder too. That game. They yeah, they, that, so yeah that. which we both actually we should get to picks right now because uh, that was one where we both took USC last week <laughs> because of that. Right. How is Notre Dame favored in this game? They were favored by two and a half. Did, should we just defer to Vegas when that happens? Like when there is a head scratching line that way, just to say like, OK, they probably know more than we because both of us looked at that. Like, that's the weirdest line I've seen all year. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I. It felt like it did feel like a, a, a USC hater uh, bait. Like, hey, you guys, you guys think USC sucks so bad? Lay some money on the Irish, you know, against them this week. Are you that confident? So, yeah, shame on us for for uh, no, no, no shame. Vegas. No, it's it's fun because it didn't interrupt. It did, didn't dissuade my enjoyment at all of watching watching USC get punked by two lost Irish. The weirdest one, and you're going to have to explain to me what happened because I was watching the game on Friday night. And I stopped watching it when Colorado was up 29 to 0. And when someone told me later that evening that uh, that Stanford had won that game 46 to 43, I I vehemently argued that they were lying. <laughs> did you really? How how in the world did that happen? Well, uh a young man named uh Elik Ayominor. Uh-huh. Caught um like 13 passes for 297 yards. <laughs> he had a a 97 yard touchdown. It was literally it was literally like in Madden when you just hold down the button to run the same play, to go no huddle and run the same play. It was just like slant, 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 slant. And he did most of it against Travis Hunter. Yeah. He had Travis Hunter Travis Hunter couldn't cover him. And so wild. He went up and like caught a pass on Travis Hunter's helmet in overtime for a touchdown. It was like in in 
in a, a high school game where you've got one player, you've got one guy offensively where it's like, okay, if, if this guy's got to carry it 50 times, like whatever, this is, this is our guy and they can't stop him. It was kind of like that. They just kept throwing it, throwing it, throwing it, throwing it to him. Um, that was a factor. Shadur Sanders had a bad pick in overtime yeah. that, that basically gave. And then, you know, Stanford's been this horrible team this year with no guys. And then they just kind of randomly have the best kicker in the country. So <laughs> that makes once, total sense. Yeah. Once they took over needing just a field goal to win, you, you knew that they were going to get it. But yeah, it was a pretty, uh, pretty epic collapse. I, I only had it on cause I was up and that, you know, there's a Pac-12 football game on, I might as well have it on the TV, but yeah, I was feeling, feeling pretty good about, uh, Colorado minus 11 and a half with that 29, nothing lead at halftime. Yeah, and instead Stanford ends up coming back and winning in overtime. So I picked the Cardinal based on the idea that Colorado was going to step in it. This did not happen at all in the way that I uh, pictured it happening and that epic sort of collapse, but it did nonetheless. We both had Cal against Utah because Utah was getting uh, or giving 13.5, and and Utah ended Mm -hmm. up winning by 20. Uh, We both picked Washington, and I think the line we went with was minus 3, though I think there were some places it was minus 2.5. Push. Push. Uh, I, I, in a, in a stunning reversal went with the Arizona fighting fishes who went and hung a big, ugly number on Washington state 44 to six. We both missed because we picked USC and then you had the Oregon state beavers, uh, giving three and a half and they, they muscled up on UCLA 36, 24. I picked the Bruins there. So last week I have you as one, four and one while I was two, three and one, which According to my calculations, leaves us tied twenty two nineteen and one with one week we did not make picks. Yeah, poor uh, poor performance by yours truly. Ah, uh, it's okay. It, it'll happen sometimes. Um, you got the beefs right. Yeah, you're got a light you're slate the, this week. Four games. I know. Washington State at Oregon. Oregon giving twenty. I'm I'm gonna take Oregon to cover that. Uh, yeah. That's. Some recency bias from watching just up close how how proficient that offense good is. Good team, man. Um, and also just goodness gracious, what is going on with Wazoo? Yeah, that's tough. Um, that's that's a, it's a tough turn. I'm pulling for the Cougs, but I'm going to take the the Ducks as well. Utah at USC, and the weekly question of what about Cam Rising? What's the line? Line is USC is giving seven. See. <laughs> The last thing I want to do is lay money on SC to cover a touchdown after what they did in South Bend. I know. But uh, i got to think they can stop at least Utah's offense, right? Without Cam Rising or with you, you know, who know, you know, who the hell knows? <laughs> yeah. um, we, we know, we, by the way, we know more about Cam Rising's surgery than anyone has ever known about any surgery in the history of football injuries. Uh, it's because so... his, his doctors, he granted his doctor permission to to talk about it um why, why do you think he did that is it because of an eye toward a pro future like he wants he wants some of that answered yeah i i'm sure that there is a sense that oh something something happened something went wrong this is taking way longer i think they probably wanted to clear the air that like no he's on track um also that it wasn't just a torn acl yeah. it was an acl mcl like it was a really bad knee injury so they probably just wanted to clear the air about like hey this was a really serious deal, um, and he's like he's actually doing really well for what it was, and, and maybe maybe temper some expectations that he's going to come back and instantly be Superman. So um, I don't know. I 
I'm going to take SC, honestly. Like, I think coming back home, we'll see how many points they can score, but I, against a team that's not Cal, I just have very little faith in, in Utah's offense. So, in, man, if this game, like, if, if Utah beats them in the Coliseum and, like, puts up points and they can't stop them, I don't know how Alex Grinch lasts the season. Um, sometimes you make picks with your head. And sometimes you make picks with your heart. This is strictly a pick with my heart. I'm taking Utah because I want to see what will happen at USC if they lose at home to Utah. I I want to see. And there's a little bit. I'm going to like a, a window into the petty part of me. There's there's a little bit. I don't begrudge Jen Cohen for taking that job. Like, I don't think that she shouldn't have taken that job or she owed it to Washington to stay or anything else. Like, totally, I I don't feel there was anything untoward about her decision. But there's a little bit of me that's the be careful what you wish for. I think that's an awful job being USC's AD. And there there is a small, petty, petty, dark part of me that wants her to experience that fully this next week. So I'm taking Utah. I'm taking Utah in the seven to beat the Trojans in the Coliseum. Arizona State at Washington. Washington's homecoming. Huskies giving 26 and a half to the fighting Dillinghams. 26 and a half. 26 and a half. Big ugly number. You've got the, yeah, like the emotional hangover. I feel like this, I mean, that's a lot of points. Washington can win convincingly and still not cover. Um, So I, I feel like the, I feel like the prudent move is to take ASU to cover the 26 and a half here. I'm going to agree with you. I think I think ASU in the cover. I think Dillingham's a pretty good coach. I think Dillingham yeah. is a pretty good coach. Um, They're getting better. They are significantly getting better. Um, maybe and there's some improved teams in the conference. Arizona State. Arizona's Arizona's a good football team, and I've that's probably as wrong about a head coach as I've ever been as I was about Jed Fish. I I think I think he's putting together a pretty good program there with no real reason other than the fact that he seems to know what he's doing. Yeah, because yeah. There's, I mean, n- there's no reason they're good other than he seems to know what he's doing. They are in that weird NIL space where like they lose guys to USC every year, but then they also get some guys that they probably wouldn't get otherwise if they didn't have a pretty good NIL operation. Which I think for Arizona football is not a bad spot to be in. So, and, and they, Noah Fafita appears to be better than Jaden Delora. So. Yeah. All right, and our fourth and final Pac-12 game of the week is UCLA at Stanford. What's our line on that one? UCLA giving 17. 17. Yep. Boy, I like Stanford. Ooh. I'm on the Troy Taylor train. They got there. I wrote this, but they, they got there. What we're doing is working win. Right. <laughs> they got that one, like every rebuilding program that's going to go two and 10 or three and nine or whatever. Like what they're just looking for that one game that's like, see, we're making progress. What we're doing is working. Stay the course. And they just got that. They got that win. UCLA uh, has, has, you know, I, I didn't think they'd win in Corvallis, but um, some shines come off their defense a little bit, I think, since their dominant performance against Wazoo. So yeah. I maybe they'll go in there and hold Stanford to three um, and figure out how to cover that that slant. <laughs> but <laughs> I like I like Stanford to cover the seventeen at least. It is there is a, as you mentioned that the like you were playing Madden in the Stanford Colorado game. There is a clip, and I think it's Jamal Adams and Marshawn Lynch are teaming up, where Jamal Adams does that 
to the guys that they're playing where he just keeps running the same play in a hurry up so they can't change out of the personnel and every time thrown to the tight end down the seam and just you can't stop it like oh the tight end seam the it's, tight end seam is unbeatable it's a glitch right like when you find a glitch in a game where you're like and then you just don't let your opponent out of it. Like, that's a really funny comparison. That's what happened to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> but they, that's that they had the, like, that's exactly who you'd want covering him, right? Like, Travis Hunter's a legitimately really good corner. And he's just, yeah. this receiver had just, you know, he played, he, he had some, I mean, he was a factor in their offense. He wasn't like nobody, but he was just like, oh, this guy's just going to have the best game in the history of receivers tonight, <laughs> I guess. Um, oh, that's so I, funny. I, I'm I'm gonna ride the Stanford train. Do you? I'm, get, uh, I, I'm going UCLA there. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Chip Kelly. I'm gonna say that he's gonna he's gonna after after being pushed around by Oregon State, they're gonna feel like they just let loose of the parachute that they've been running uh, that's been trailing behind them as they run, and they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna cover the 17. Do you have uh, Do you have plans for any other Washington games this year? Well, depending on how my health holds up, there's been conversation about making the trip to, to USC. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm going to make it back to Husky Stadium, but I, I would say if if Washington ends up playing Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, I don't think there's any way that I'm going to miss that. Um, because that was that was as fun and exhilarating a game as I've ever seen. Um, and being there in the crowd with three of my college roommates... Um, was a pretty unforgettable uh, afternoon. It was really, really fun. If that happens, will we see just alternating Michael Penix and Bo Nix Heisman ads on the Sphere that that whole uh, that whole weekend? I guess it's I, on a Friday, so they'd be out of there on Friday. But I guess it'd be cool to see. Um, it'd be interesting. I don't know what La- I've never seen a football game in Las Vegas, so I don't know what that what that's going to feel like. Have you Have you gone and covered one there? Um, not at Allegiant Stadium. I've covered uh, a Vegas Bowl and yeah. a in Washington State at UNLV in the same. Both of those in Sam Boyd Stadium, but I've I've not been to Allegiant. No, is it weird? Is it weird to go to a sporting event in Vegas? Like now that I think about it, I've never gone to a sporting event in Vegas. I know the Pac-12 basketball tournament's there, but I've never gone to that since they they placed it there. So I've covered the Pac-12 basketball tournament a handful of times. Um, the it's Sam Boyd. It was a little different because that's out in like almost yeah. out in Henderson. Um, so you're you know you're getting in a car and and driving twenty minutes. Yeah, it'll be it'll be it would be a a, a different experience. Um, I don't know. I I didn't feel like the basketball experience was all that you know unique to Vegas necessarily. Like obviously, they have Vegas type acts for national anthem and pregame and halftime and stuff. And there's a there's a Vegas flavor to it. But as far as you know, getting there and taking it in. Like it's, it's cool for fans, right? Cause you, there's a million yeah. different hotel options and everything's right there and it's right on the strip and that's fun. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think once you get in and it's high stakes and it's, you know, if it were Washington against Oregon, um, I think, I think you'd kind of forget where you were pretty, pretty quickly, you know? Yeah. It'd be, man, now that we talk about it, I'd love to see a rematch. Like I would as a fan, I, I'd love to see a rematch. It would be like one of the coolest things in the history of the rivalry, for yeah. sure. And yeah. just, you know, the last Pac-12 championship game and it's Washington against Oregon and they both go to the, the Big Ten. I'd, it would be um, it would be made for TV, but then everything's made for TV, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, enjoy the game if you're going. 
Um, did you have one more? One more. I wanted to say, and I'd meant to bring this up earlier. The shot of Roma Dunze after his touchdown that ESPN (laughs) posted on the internet and said, this picture is so cold. The professional composure with which Christian Capel of OnMontLake.com conducted himself, pulling out his phone to document the moment in real time. Um, There are moments that you get a window into the professionalism and the the decorum that uh, a man conducts himself with. And I thought that that was an especially poignant moment. Uh, Our seats were about 17 rows up directly behind you, Christian. Uh, I wish that I had known that that was you standing right there when it happened. But I just like to, I I just like to point out that uh, in, in those, in those moments, like the reveal the truth about man and uh, your, your professionalism and, and poise was demonstrated admirably in that moment. Well, I I appreciate that. I'm glad that that was your interpretation. Um, there, there, I, I have been accused of not watching the play, which is which is not what happened. Uh, no, but there, which there is. Uh, it's funny because so I I watched the play. I watched Odunze catch it, and uh, and then uh, got my phone out to film the the celebration. Um, and I was thinking, I was curious to see if I was going to be in the frame on TV because uh, you know like you got to be a little closer to the field than you think. It doesn't, it, it's pretty tight on the sideline there for what yeah. the camera actually captures. And it did, you can see, you can, you can see me. I was standing behind a, uh, a security guard who, who goes crazy in, in celebration when the ball is caught. Um, but if it, yeah, if anybody did need uh video evidence that I, I was not on my phone during the play, I was just getting it out to, to pull up my camera there. It, it, do, <laughs> it does exist. So were this, were this to come before a, uh, a, a judge or a jury, I, I'd be I'd be pretty confident I could mount a, a reasonable defense. It was a heck of a moment, and I just I love that moment. Like when you get the insight into someone, where it's like, "Yep, he was doing exactly what he should be. He's a documentarian of the moment." That's me. I'm a professional documentarian. <laughs> um, enjoy the game if you're going. Another late kick Saturday. Can't well, can't all be at twelve thirty, Danny. No. We got. We can't complain about anything for a little while after that game. No complaints. Nothing but smiles. We'll talk to you next week.